Um, today, <clears throat> as I was praying about this Sunday, we could have continued in Proverbs. Somehow, though, uh, preaching about the adulterous woman on Mother's Day just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. So um, Jennifer said, I think you must be getting a little wisdom since you're going to detour. <laughs> but as I, um, as I was praying, the Lord made very clear to me what I was to preach on. It's a passage that a few years ago we looked at, but it just strikes me as such a powerful passage for Mother's Day. Uh, and to, to really tailor it, not just looking at, at that passage in an expository way, but more as an encouragement, an exhortation to mothers. So I invite you to turn in Matthew chapter 15 to verse 21. Matthew 15, verse 21. When you found that passage, would you please stand with me, if you're able, to the, for the reading of God's holy word. And Jesus went from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. We ask now that the same Holy Spirit that spoke to and through the Apostle Matthew would now speak in our hearts, helping us to understand and to receive this word, not just to understand it as an ancient word, as, as a word about something that happened 2,000 years ago to one woman and one daughter and, and one Jesus, but that is by the power of that self-same Jesus and by the power of that self-same Spirit, applies to us powerfully today. Bless the mothers in this room. Bless the sons and daughters in this room. And We ask that all of us, Lord, would be strengthened as we listen and ponder and are convicted and are changed by your holy word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together, God's people said, Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> In this story that we have before us, we have a woman who is incredibly desperate. She is so desperate that she is willing to abandon all propriety. She is willing to put aside all appearances. She is willing to let other people say what they will about her. Because she has an overwhelming love. The overwhelming love that this woman has is for her daughter. This is the story of a mother's love for her daughter. According to the parallel passage in Mark's gospel, it says that this is a little girl. So this is a very young child, not, not, an, 
not a, a teenager, not a young adult, but this is a little girl, a child. And this woman loves her child so much that she is willing to do anything to get her child help. You know, there's probably a lot of truth in this for mothers and fathers in this room. Um, you want to find that deepest part of the heart of a mother or father. You talk about their child. You, you, you bring up an issue or they see their child suffering. You, you all of a sudden can go past all of those sort of peripheral concerns and, and you come to the very heart of the person because somehow, somehow the heart of, of a parent is, is bonded with a child. Maybe even more than the child for the parent because this mother had had this child in her for her entire pregnancy. She had delivered this child. She had nursed this child. She had changed this child. She had been with this child. We have no mention of a father. We have no mention of an extended family that, that maybe this was just a mom who was doing this all on her own. If, if she wasn't raising the child all on her own, she was certainly the only one going to find help. But one of the things about a child getting to the very heart of a person is it, it, it exposes us to that, that sense of we will do anything for our children. And knowing most of you in this room and your, and your relationship with your children, I know that's true. There's not much you wouldn't sacrifice for your children or for your grandchildren. And that's as it should be. But it's amazing how God is going to take that natural desire and this incredible situation of, of need. And he is going to take what is natural in this woman and it is going to turn it into something that is supernatural. Now we notice from the very first verse there in verse 21 that it says Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is the one fully international mission trip that we have from Jesus. In fact, it really wasn't a mission trip. We read in Mark's gospel, it was a retreat. In fact, he goes into a house in that region and he says he didn't want anybody to know he was there. They were trying to get away after a very intense period of ministry. If you take a map of the north of Israel and the, the, the region of Galilee, uh, all around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus would have been born in Nazareth. His home ministry base was in Capernaum. And then if you went all the way out to the Mediterranean Sea and then you went north, what would be the modern-day coastline of the country of Lebanon, you come to these two cities of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Mark's gospel calls her a Syrophoenician woman. Syro for the word uh, Syria, which would have been uh, that whole Roman province of Syria. And Phoenician because Tyre and Sidon were two of the cities that were populated by the Phoenicians, where we get our alphabet from, but they were the traders of the Mediterranean, and they had strategic cities that they had throughout the Mediterranean region. Another one you would have heard of is the city of Carthage in North Africa. They were trading centers for the seafaring Phoenicians. So Jesus leaves this region, his base, and he goes into a place that is completely Gentile. Completely where people are not Jewish. Completely where people are not a part of the Old Testament faith. They, they don't keep the law of God. They don't worship the Lord God, Jehovah. They, they, don't, they don't know him, don't worship him. In fact, it's interesting if you think about this, there is another lady in the Old Testament, maybe the only other person that we know of, female person that we know of from these two cities. Does anybody know who that would be? 
Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Sidon. And she was, her father, Ethbal, was uh, uh, not only this chief of the Phoenicians, but he was the one who promoted the worship of the false god Baal. And it says, uh, in speaking of her husband in, uh, that Jezebel marries, it says he did so many things. He did more evil than all of the rest, but the worst thing he did was marry Jezebel because she led the people to worship Baal. And Baal worship is ultimately what led to the destruction of the northern kingdom. So you, you have this in mind that they're going into a territory. It's not just foreign territory. It's not just different people with different culture, different food. It's people of a different religion. These are people who are steeped in the worship of the false god Baal. This would have been the god of, of thunder. This would have been the god of lightning. And that's why on Mount Carmel, a few miles south of the cities of Tyre and Sidon, the prophet Elijah, why, why he is having this duel with the prophets of Baal who think that their god is the one who controls the rain and the storm. But ultimately, God triumphs over this god Baal, but the Israelites continue to struggle with it because they're completely dependent on rain for their crops. And so they, they like Yahweh, but they want to have one foot with God and one foot with Baal, just to cover their bases, spiritually speaking. And so Jesus is going into this region that would have immediately, every disciple and Jesus himself would have had Jezebel in their mind. The arch enemy of God and God's people. The one who was the, the prototype of, of idolatry. And so they would have expected. That's the kind of women that come out of this place. That's the kind of godless, heartless women that Tyre and Sidon give birth to. We see her pagan origins made clear in verse 22. And it says, and behold, a Canaanite woman... From that region came out. So when it says Canaanite, uh, and we often think, well, that's from the land of Canaan, but it's just kind of a, a, a bulk word to say that she was not a believer in the God of the Bible, that she was not from that culture. She was part of the pagan culture. She was one of those idol worshiping peoples. So her religious background is being emphasized, not her ethnicity. She would have come from a father and mother that would have worshipped idols, possibly even, even though it was many years later, possibly Baal worshippers. But this woman comes out and she is crying. She, she is not like the woman who has the issue of blood that crawls underneath just to grab the hem of Jesus' garment. This is a woman, despite the fact that she would have lost face and maybe even place with all of her neighbors and with her family because she is coming up and she is asking for help from a Jewish man who is of a different religion. She would have lost so much in terms of uh, uh, her reputation in the community, but she's not whispering. She's not saddling up to Christ. It says she is crying. She is crying. That means that at the top of her lungs, she is yelling. What does she yell? She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. You know, I mean, think about this. It, it might miss us at first glance. But this is a woman speaking to Jesus, and she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And then she makes the request by saying, my daughter, or, or makes the acknowledgement of the problem, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. You know, if, if it weren't in the context that it were in, I think we would all see it. Do you know what? There's another word for that, what just happened. That's prayer. <laughs> That's prayer. I mean, she, prayer means coming and expressing your deepest desire. Now, now, notice this. 
she's not just thinking she's just asking anybody. I mean, what does she call him? She's from a pagan background, and she calls this man that is in front of her, Lord. She recognizes that he is her superior, and, and perhaps even if she didn't fully understand his divinity, she knows she is coming to one who has great authority, the authority of God himself. She also has heard enough about him to recognize that he is the son of David. The very son of David, Solomon, is the one who had Hiram to cut down the cedars of Lebanon, to have them shipped down for the building of the temple. There had been a trade relationship between these peoples for a long time. So this lady would have been steeped in the stories of these foreign peoples, the Jews, the Hebrews. But here she wants to say what the whole gospel of Matthew has been trying to say from the beginning. Remember how Matthew begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That's the entire point of Matthew is Jesus is the long-awaited king. And according to Matthew 1.21, it says he came to deliver his people from their sins. This was the ultimate deliverance, not deliverance from the Romans, not even deliverance from disease, but deliverance from sins. So he is a great conquering king come to conquer the greatest of enemies that mankind has ever known, which is our rebellion against God. And according to the verses immediately prior in Matthew 15, Jesus says that that enemy, if you want to know where that enemy is located... It's not located out in the world. It's not located in a political party or an ideology. The location of the enemy against God is the very heart of the human. That's what he says. He says, look, it's not the external things that defile a man, but it's the heart. He says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus has just said, then it's not about the ceremonies of what you do. It's not even about the ceremony of coming to church on Sunday. It's ultimately about what's in your heart. And he here has a woman who has recognized his identity. This, he, she calls him, you're the, you're the king. You're the true descendant of David. You are the true ruler over the people of Israel. But you notice that as she has made this address to Christ, she has, she has humbled herself. She has, she has literally... Uh, uh, put herself out there, loss of dignity in the eye of the public by, by crying out for Jesus. But she's on a mission. This is a mom on a mission. Her heart is for her daughter. As we said, her little daughter, who is severely oppressed by a demon. We live in a day and age when people don't even believe in demons when they don't believe that there are spiritual forces of darkness that would disturb not just the physiology of our children, but the spiritual anatomy of the soul, that there can actually be powers of darkness. As I've said so many times, Satan's greatest trick is in the modern world, where people actually now say, you know what, he doesn't even exist. He's a big joke. He's a guy in red tights with a pitchfork and horn." And in that day, though, they realized that even though they couldn't see it and couldn't understand it, that there were spiritual forces of darkness all around and on occasion, even inside, harassing people. And this mother, she, she diagnoses this. She says, this is what it is. But, but you recognize, she realizes she can't do anything about it. You know, one of the reasons mom... Moms, God has you to be a mom is because he wants you to have and to take on a role that you cannot do. Being a mother in the way that God intended you to be a mother is an impossible task on your own. 
If you feel right now, I've got it. I'm a great mom. I'm going to wear my little ball cap, mom's world's greatest mom. <laughs> You're not understanding. This task to which you have been called is not just a task to make sure that your children are fed and that your children are educated and that children can go off to school and get a good job. Your job is to care for not only the physical but the spiritual well-being of your child. And this mother realizes her little baby girl is severely oppressed by a demon and she will stop at nothing to find the one who can heal and cure and restore her little daughter. She will do anything to come into his presence to make that problem known. But notice in verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. Now this is where it gets really strange with Jesus. He doesn't even answer her. You think this, this is pretty disrespectful. He, he's not even responding to her. Then notice it says, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is not responding. The disciples think that she is a bother to their spiritual retreat. And so they are asking for Jesus to just send her away. Just, just say, get away from me. Be done. Be gone. And Jesus identifies his mission. He says, you know what? She's not, a, she's not a Jew. I really came on a mission for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which is absolutely true. Jesus is the king who is in the line of David. Who is meant to be the fulfillment of every promise made to the Hebrews in scripture of a prophet and a priest and a king. Jesus came for them. And this is what people understood. They, they hadn't read the whole story because this is where Matthew's gospel begins to shift. You remember Matthew's gospel, there's no greater worldwide evangelization passage in all of Scripture than the end of this selfsame gospel when Jesus, his final words from his lips are, Go ye therefore and make disciples of the Jews. No. Go ye therefore and make disciples of panta, ta, ethne, of all the peoples, all the nations, every ethnic group, Syrophoenician, Canaanite, wherever they are, you make them disciples of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that had not yet been revealed in the story. Jesus was accomplishing the mission. He was preaching in the one area, the one region, and the worldwide nature of his salvation and of his lordship was yet to be fully revealed. Notice in verse 25, it says, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. How many of you, when God does not answer a prayer that you have for your son or your daughter how many of you just quit oh i prayed about that i i think i think we are anemic in our prayers i know i am i'm preaching to myself here we're anemic in our prayers we go i prayed about that we we don't understand though i think if we were to take a picture and 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 to put an old testament picture alongside this story it would be the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And, and most of us, we see prayer as a non-contact sport. We see prayer as a nice sanitary little game of ping pong. I, I hit it over to God and we hope he hits it back to us. When the reality is, it's much more like American football or rugby or, or wrestling where you just got to get in there. You know, I hear people over and over say to me, you know, I, don't, I can read the Bible, I read the Bible, I can go to church, I can do all those things, but in my life, the hardest thing is my prayer life. I just can't pray. Well, let me tell you why you can't pray is because you've not been praying prayers like these people. 
If we prayed biblical prayers, prayer would be the most important, significant lifeline that we had because we would realize it is not talking about things that we don't understand to someone that we possibly can't see and certainly doesn't care. It's about taking the very depths of our soul, the things we care about the most, the daughter that we love with all of our heart, that son that we care about that is walking far away from God and it is wrestling with God and when God does not answer, we don't look at him and say, well, I prayed about it. It's about saying, I am going to wrestle with you, God, until you bless me. You think about the story, I prayed it in the prayer that Jesus tells the parable of the woman, the widow. We don't know if she had children, but she was a widow. She comes to the judge to try to get justice. And the judge is sleeping, he's like, go away. But the woman just keeps knocking on the door. And eventually, just because she is so persistent, he opens the door and he gives her justice. And Jesus says, uh, uh, if that's how a hard-hearted judge is, what about the, the, the God of the universe when he's dealing with his elect? How will he do? How will he act? And he says, when the Son of Man appears, will he find faith upon the face of the earth? What Jesus is saying is that the essence of faith is that you're going to pray and you're not going to give up. Let me just tell you this. One of the reasons why I think God gets to women through their children more than any other way is because it's what you care about most and you could try to turn it off, <laughs> but to your final breath, you can't turn it off. Even mothers who've abandoned their children, their last thought is of the children that they gave away or they abandoned. They just they can't turn it off. It's somehow, it is wired into them and because it is at the very heart of them, here Jesus is saying, this is how you're going to learn faith. So mothers, I'm encouraging you, the greatest thing you can do for your children is to pray and not give up, to wrestle with Jesus. Some of you have children that have never professed faith in Jesus Christ. They have never publicly been obedient to Christ in baptism. They have, they, if they have, they're not walking with the Lord. Let me just tell you, there is one thing that that is meant to teach you. It is not meant to teach you, oh, well, I hope they get okay and they have a good job and maybe they'll find some happiness. Your job upon this earth is to upon your knees to get down and say, God, I will not let go till you bless my son or you bless my daughter. Have mercy on them. They are severely oppressed in body and soul. You will not let them go. A love that will refuse to let that child go. Notice even though he's giving her the stiff arm. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She's not put off. I, I, I just am, in my own soul, I'm stopping. I'm stopping, 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 praying, passive, weak, if thy, whatever thy will is, if you want to do something, do something, I don't really care, kind of prayers. I just would rather say nothing than to pray that way. If you don't care about it, don't pray about it. But if you care about it, then you get on your face. You're not commanding God. You're not the boss of God, but you're wrestling with God. And you're going to say, I'm going I'm to keep on. Let me tell you, are you ever wrong? Could, you, could God ever find fault with you to pray for the salvation of your child and say, well, that's a bad prayer? <laughs> He's never going to say that. He's never going to say that. So I just say, start asking, start seeking, start knocking, and do not stop. This woman is not put off by the silence of Jesus. She's not put off by the rebuke of the disciples. She comes and she kneels, humility, before a foreign man who worships a foreign God and represents a foreign God. And she says, Lord, help me. Well, it gets worse. Verse 26, he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Some of you know I'm reading 
through Matthew with a friend of mine who is, is not a believer. This passage was really hard. He, was, he said, I was just starting to like Jesus. <laughs> this one's a tough one, right? I mean, this is, this is called politically incorrect, right? Did he just call this woman a dog? You know what? Every Jewish man would have prayed in that day, in the day, first century of Jesus, they would have prayed, Lord, I thank you that I am not a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. And this lady's got two of those strikes. She's a woman. She's a pagan Gentile. And it seems like, why is Jesus being so rough on this woman? Why is he being so, so, so pushing her away? And, and, and you have to recognize this. Some of you right now, you're like, I have prayed for years for my child, and I, I hear nothing. Let me just say it before we look at it. It's this. Prayer is much more about who God is making you to be than the answer that you're seeking to find. You see, Jesus is not being mean. You can almost see him saying this with a smile on his face just by the answer he's getting ready to give. He's getting ready to hold her up as a model of faith. But he's, he's pushing her back. And many times we feel like we're pounding on heaven's door for something that's good and godly. And, and God is just saying, wait, or, or we're hearing nothing. But, but this woman, she, she doesn't even rise up at the insult. She doesn't turn away. But we are so timid and tepid in our faith and in our prayers that when we don't get an answer, we just quit. So, so let me just tell you, again, what I'm saying is quit with the tepid, weak, faithless prayers. The prayer of faith is what God desires. Now, we're going to talk about what that means in a minute. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But this woman, she refuses to be put off. Notice her response. She said, verse 27, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. One Bible scholar looking at this passage, he said, this is the only time in all four of the Gospels that you have a, a, a case of verbal jousting between Jesus and someone, and Jesus concedes defeat. It's the only time that Jesus goes, you got me. And it's because he was... He was he was really trying to pull something out of her. He was trying to pull something out of her. And, and, and we read it uh, in Sunday school. We read the uh, Romans 5, 1 about peace with God. You continue on down in that passage. And it says, one of the things we need is endurance because endurance produces character. Why does God not answer your prayer on the first time up? Because what then happens is you think, well, God's my genie in the sky. I prayed the prayer. Now I can move on to what I really want. But when prayer becomes a wrestling with the Almighty, where you're going to say, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm going to pray for my child who is lost as the world is, who is physically is in a difficult way, who is, cannot figure out what their life is all about. And I am going to pray for them without ceasing What's it producing in you? It's producing what God said, what the reason you're here for. It's faith that won't give up. It's persevering faith. It's enduring faith. We know we've seen people dear to us who prayed to their final breath. And they didn't see with their eyes. Some of us in this room have promised we're going to pray and continue to pray till that son, that daughter, comes to faith. As long as there is breath, there is hope. 
Jesus then gives us the reveal in verse 28. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Um, This is showing, you know, Jesus got his burly fisherman disciples, his ex-tax collector disciples. They're all around him. These are guys, big, strong, strapping guys. Jesus would have been a carpenter. And, And he's saying, oh, by the way, this woman that you as a Jewish man would have said, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I'm glad I'm not a Gentile. He says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. You, you have to let that sit in your ears as, to, to rest upon your heart as it would have upon the mind and heart of the disciples. This would have been stunning. Did he just say a daughter of the people who produced Jezebel? The one who was the anti-faith, anti-God, the idol queen of the world that, that, that literally now that this woman from Tyre and Sidon, a place of pagan idolatry and immorality, he just gave her the marker that this is a woman of great faith. Would have blown him away. It's so amazing. Matthew and Mark, Mark being Peter's memoirs, it was recorded. It couldn't. It was just a shocker. But, but a few things to notice about this, and this is so important. Faith is a wrestling with Christ. But faith is foremost a coming to Christ. Faith, hear me, hear me, hear me. If you take one thing away from this today, it would be this. Mothers, fathers, any Christian who prays in this room. Faith is not optimism or confidence about a particular outcome. Faith is an unshakable, unalterable confidence in the one that you bring your petition to. Faith is in Jesus. Which, by the way, this means that in order for her faith to be in Jesus, she had to turn her back on her heritage. She had to turn her back on her idolatry. She had to turn her back upon her reputation in her community. Maybe even turn her back upon her extended family. Because of her love for her severely, spiritually oppressed daughter, she was willing to let it all go and to come and to, with great humility to put every bit of confidence in this man, Jesus. And even fall at his knees when he would not answer her. To keep coming even when he said things that to the first sound would have sounded like insults. Do you know what the word for that giving up is? It just, we just need a picture because these big words, they just rattle around and mean nothing. That's repentance. She doesn't say, you know what, Jesus, I want you. But by the way, I want my bail as well. Remember talking to a couple, fascinating couple. They're serving the Lord in, in the Amazon, in, literally on the Amazon. They live on a flo- in a floating house on the Amazon above Manaus. They've been serving the Lord there for years. He's from the Great Lakes uh, area uh, in the United States, so he's grown up fishing with boats. And so they do a lot of things ministering to, to uh, native peoples that are um, in this Amazon region that are difficult to reach. So they take their boat and they do all kinds of things to, to help. But they told me a story. I was sitting there one night um, earlier this year at the learning center for missionaries and they told a story. They said, you know, there's a guy who, uh, his a son who was uh, demon-possessed. And they said, and the father came and said, would you come and pray? And so they said, we went and prayed. And they said it was amazing. This person had been severely oppressed. And um, the demons were gone. Now, I know you may have doubts about it. (laughs) I've been there. 
I, I've, I've seen stuff and I've felt stuff. I mean, you, if you're not paying attention, it's here too. It's here too. But the demon was gone. In Jesus' name and by the blood of Jesus, this son was restored to sanity and stability. Well, uh, they worshipped these tribal deities and they had witch doctors. After he, this child was healed and cleansed, they went back to worshipping their old way. And the demon returned. And this couple said, we asked the family, said, they came back and said, would you please do this again? And they said, are you going to keep on worshiping your, you know, these gods that you worship and, and calling on which, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to do that. But what we, want, we want Jesus. You see, and they said no. And they were right. Because Jesus, he wants to be the Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. He wants all of you. And that means that the first side of faith is you got to let go. And some of you moms, you think that you can control the future of your children. You think you can shape them and mold them and make them. You might be able to get them to have external obedience, but to become heart felt, spirit-born followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing you can do to make that happen is to get down on your knees and with a loud voice to cry out, God, save my son or my daughter. It's a spiritual thing. You can't do it. And one of the great illusions of motherhood and fatherhood is somehow we control these little beings called our son or our daughter. You didn't in the womb and you won't till their final day. You won't. And God wants you to see something. You think, well, I can feed them. I can send them to school. You can do all those things. But the things that matter most, you can't fix. And God wants it that way because it creates incredible humility and dependence. And this woman is willing to give us a portrait of true repentance. She lets all of that go. She lets it all go. And she says, my hope is all built on Jesus Christ. If you will not help, there is no help. There's no doctor. There's no priest. There's no cure. This is a, this is a, a spiritual problem. Forces of darkness have gripped my little daughter's heart. Unless you help, there's no help. She repents. She puts all of her faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, Oh, woman, great is your faith in me. Now, notice what he does. Notice what he does. He says, be it done for you as you desire. Do you notice what he just separated? He separated faith from her petition. The petition was the desire of her heart. But her faith was her confidence and trust in Jesus. But the other thing is this. So many of us, we don't pray our desires. You notice even Jesus himself in the garden. He doesn't just say, you know what? I came to die on the cross. Boy, it's going to be the most awful thing that's ever happened to anybody. But Lord, you know, your will be done. Jesus himself giving us the ultimate model of biblical prayer. He wrestles with the Father in that garden and he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Part of the reasons our prayers are so weak is we don't pray about what we care about. And God wants you to pray for the salvation and the continuance and the restoration of your children. Do you think the prodigal father or the 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 the, the father of the prodigal son, you think he just sat there for all those years and, well, I just hope he comes back. It says the son came to his senses. I'm sure even though the story doesn't tell us what that father was doing for those years is, is God, I can't bring my son home. I can't make him come to his senses, but you can restore to him a right mind where he realized that eating pig food in the world is what Satan will offer but what I offer is forgiveness and home and restoration and blessing. Some of you have got those prodigals right now. And let me just tell you, don't just value what the world values for them. 
Okay, so they gained the whole world, got a great job, get married, have kids of their own. They gained the whole world and lose their own soul. What is the profit? Praying for your nieces, your nephews. I tell you, I don't have kids of my own, but I've prayed for every child in this church in preparing this message. Just praying. Praying for those who've never publicly committed to Jesus Christ, who've never trusted Jesus. I prayed for your adult children by name and said, God, I know they're not walking with you, and many of you have that. And it's the normal way of the world, apart from divine intervention. And God says, as a hammer is to a nail, so your prayers will be to that nail. You've got to hammer that in. Do not be passive. Do not be weak. Pray and say, God, I'm going to wrestle with you until you do this good and glorious thing that will bring you so much glory. I'm going to pray for the salvation and for the sanctification of my daughter, of my son. And then notice Jesus says, but hey, be done for you as you desire. Why? Her desire was a good desire. It was a good desire. She wasn't saying, you know what? I, I, want, I want my daughter to go off and marry some great person, be some great person. No, he, she's asking for this little child who imagine how horrible it would be to see your child just with all of the manifestations of demonic possession, how horrifying that would be, how helpless you would feel. And Jesus is compassionate. He knows. He remembers our frame. He knows we are dust. He cares about our physical well-being as well. And so he says, that desire, that's a good desire. Be it done for you as you desire. It says the daughter was healed. She was immediately healed, instantly, in that moment. The desire of this woman's heart was met. It was a good desire, but her faith was not in the outcome. It was in Christ, and Christ being a wonderful, merciful Savior, he gave it. Let me just tell you right now, some of you, you're wondering why God still has you on this earth. I hear many people say this as they get older. Why does God still have me here? And I say, do you have a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter or a great-grandchild? Someone in your family that you already are attached to by the bonds of natural affection that is, does not know the Lord or they are a prodigal away from the Lord? Then let me just tell you, God has you here to intercede on their behalf. How many people, and I can tell you story after story of over the years of being a pastor, how many people were the godliest people that I've had the privilege of pastoring saying they remember as a child, they remember their mother praying for them out loud by name. My mother is one of those. She remembers her mother calling out on her behalf, saying, God, please save Martha so that she does not go to hell. Let me tell you, that'll shake you up. And it shook my mother up, but it didn't shake her away from a, from a good thing. It shook her away from the lie of this world, and she planted her life in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Some of you right now, you're so discouraged. It's been year after year after year. You planted seeds in that son or that daughter, and you're not seeing them come up. What Jesus is wanting you to do is to realize prayer is a contact sport. It is getting in there. It is wrestling. It is grappling with Christ. It is a real life, real desire, real feeling. Understanding the mind of God as you pour out, you lift up your heart to Him. And He's all the while, He's shaping you. Not to just be a, a person with faith that's an inch deep, but a, a person with a faith that's a mile deep. Nothing can shake you. You believe, even when you cannot see. Will you believe? Will you keep praying? You know what? This is for all of us in this room. There's not a believer who doesn't have something in your life right now, a real need, a real desire. And God's just saying, 
Are you just going to give up? Are you just going to be passive about it? Are you going to wrestle with me until I bless you? Would you pray? Father, we acknowledge that we are so weak in our faith. And Lord, our faith tends to all be about what we want. But Lord, I pray that our faith would be about about you. And knowing you're good. Yes, you are God and you are Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But Lord, if it's a good thing, and it's a godly thing, we are going to wrestle with you until you bless us. Not because you are reluctant, but because you are shaping us. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful example. Lord, I look forward one day to seeing this mother in heaven, meeting her, and just thanking her for how your spirit moved upon her and how she became the model mother with humble, desperate faith in Jesus for the sake of her child. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for every child that has never professed faith in Christ in our midst. Oh God, I I can't save them. Their mom and dad can't save them. They can't even save themselves. But right now, would you convict them by the power of your spirit of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment? May they put all of their hope in Jesus. Save them. Lord, for those parents who raised their children, they read the Bible, they prayed, they took their children to church, they were there seated beside them, they they talked of the things of the Lord, and their children are in a far country. Oh, God. Right now, wherever that child is, would you bring them to their senses? Lord, some children have unforgiveness toward their parents. Some children are filled with bitterness and anger and and the relationship is strained or maybe even broken. I pray that you would restore that relationship, but above all, you you would heal the relationship between that child and yourself. Save them, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not fear being desperate Lord, I've been made aware of my own desperate need for you as your son, as a pastor of this church, Lord. As we come on eight years and I just feel overwhelmed, I say, Lord, I, I, I don't know how to even move forward, Lord, because we, we want to see people saved, but Lord, it's just so slow, it's so difficult. And you've said to me this week, I have you where I want you, desperate, on your knees, so that I can show my glory. Wrestle with me. Wrestle with me. Pray and do not give up. Lord, I ask the same for every, every person in this room that we would take this message to heart. In the name of Jesus and together God's people said,